Today's episode of Your Stories is sponsored by Cards Against Humanity. They asked us not to read an ad, so enjoy the show! Your Stories is a wonderful opportunity to share all the highs and lows of being a nerd. You know that hobby you have that you don't talk to anyone about? It's a secret you don't like to share because it might make you feel weird. Maybe you're into something different. Uh, comic books, fantasy football, push-ups. Your Stories, to me, has been this really kind and welcoming space where people just have the guts to be really honest and they share their voices and their stories with everyone there, no questions asked. Uh, I've heard stories about all those things. Uh, maybe not not a lot of push-ups. I maybe haven't heard a lot of stories about push-ups. The Nerdalogs is group therapy meets Toastmasters. I know there's always a place where my odd thoughts and unusual habits will be welcomed and championed in a warm, supportive environment by other nerds just like me. And what's fun is you'll see people in the audience one month, and then all of a sudden they uh, go up and tell their story. So your story becomes their story, and their story is your story, and then it's our story, and then it's a podcast, so it's everybody's story, and then you've shared it, and gosh, that's great, huh? And even if you don't think you're a nerd, you probably are. It's easily the most Midwestern thing I've ever been a part of. Hey everybody, I'm Eric Garneau, and this is the Nerdalogs Presents Your Stories on Tour. We're back this week with the second part of our San Francisco episode, appropriately themed Gateway, and we've got storytellers Jennifer Zigas, Bogdan Negru, and Megan Cohen to share some wonderful pieces with you based on that theme, plus another handful of songs from yours truly. I defy you to find a lovelier collection of people than the folks I met in San Fran. Seriously, they're so great. Go ahead and try. I'll wait. Meanwhile, uh, I'm pretty light on plugs this week, guys. Uh, the Nerdalogs just celebrated our seventh anniversary with a show and party Saturday. Uh, so we're going to start cooking up some new stuff for you uh, very shortly here. Uh, I'll be back next week with details on the next Live Your Stories recording in Chicago. Uh, so for now, just keep enjoying our many podcasts. You can always rate and review them on iTunes. That helps us a lot in the eyes of Lord Apple, who we must all appease, of course. And thank you, as always, for listening. Enjoy the heck out of these stories and songs. Um, this is a band that made me feel a lot of stuff when I was a teenager. It was maybe like a gateway to feelings. I contend that these guys are emo, even though they're like folk. We'll see. Step out the front door like a ghost into the fall where no one notices the contrast of white on white. In between the moon and you, the angels get a better view of the crumbling difference between wrong and right. Well, I walk in the air between the rain, threw myself and back again where well, I don't know. Maria says she's dying Through the door I hear her crying Why? I don't know Around here We always stand up straight Around here Something radiates 
I didn't play a song by the man who was um, my inspiration for like everything. <laughs> my gateway to so much. 
That's backwards. Let's not do that. So one time, this is true, I got to interview Tom Morello for, uh, for a magazine, and he, I asked him what's it like to play with, uh, with this guy, because he was in his band for a while, and Tom goes, you know there's only one boss worth listening to, and that's Bruce Springsteen, which is the most Tom Morello answer. One, two, three, four...
some brews. Thank you, guys. All right, let's get some more stories. We got three more speakers tonight who I'm very excited to hear from. Starting with when I asked for an introduction, here's, here's where we got. I think this is really awesome. Has always and forever been a hopeless romantic. I wonder if we're going to hear about this. This is Jennifer Zegas. All right, uh, you really had me at Gateway to Feelings. I just tell you that. <laughs> I was like, glad I'm going on the second set. Yeah. Um, so, hi, I'm Jennifer, and uh, this story takes place about 10 years ago uh, when I first moved to San Francisco. And uh, I came to San Francisco from Cincinnati, and I was recently single in what from what was my first love and like first long-term relationship and I'm in my I'm in my early 20s and so I get here and I somehow convince myself that the best way to get to know San Francisco and make friends uh, and to see the city through other people's eyes which is to be to put myself out there and start dating and uh, a few months after I got here then I met this guy who lived in my neighborhood and he was pretty cute, and he was actually the first person to ask me out. So, of course, you know, he <laughs> earned the first date. <laughs> and uh, after we were hanging out on the first day, um, I found out that he's really into music. That was great, that he has some kind of recording studio, and that he actually had his own podcast. And so on his podcast, he would interview bands, and then after the interview they would play the music that they had recorded in his studio. Um, but the most memorable part of this podcast is that they would only air on nights where there was a full moon. <laughs> <laughs> so that right there got him a second date <clears throat> automatically. Um, and so after like a few more dates, we were hanging out, and I hadn't even let him kiss me. And I don't even know, like I was probably just avoiding the situation because I was still pretty heartbroken. And I knew I just had to end it because I, I just I wasn't there, even though I was really trying to be. And so I, I gave him the whole, it's not you, it's me spiel, which he didn't really buy into. And then I think he was pretty bummed out about it and then just kind of cut me off. And so I, I, I felt really bad, but, you know, I just kept going out and trying to make friends. And about six months later... I'm at this after party, and it's, it's probably like three in the morning. Everybody is probably so drunk they should be home, but we're just still out. And then I see him there, and we keep glancing at each other, and we're smiling, and I'm thinking, oh, this is great, you know? Like, I've been here a while. This is like water on the bridge. I should extend an olive branch and, you know, say what's up, and, you know, we can be friends now, and so... I like slowly make my way over to him and and I'm like, hey. And he's like, hi. And I'm like, how are you? And he said, I'm good, how are you? And I said, things are going great. He was like, oh, that's awesome. And I was like, yeah. And then I was feeling overconfident, you know, like the hopeless romantic that I am. And I say, you know what's really funny? And he was like, what? And I was like, I don't know. It's it's stupid, but like every once in a while when there's a full moon, I guess like sometimes I just like think about you, but like sometimes or whatever. And he's like laughing really hard. And then he's like, why? And as he's saying that, 
I'm like, oh my God, this is not the guy I went on those dates with. And, and I didn't, I didn't know what to say. So I just said, um, I, I don't really know why, um, but have a really good night. <laughs> he looked so bummed also. And he's like, you too. And then, uh, and then I went home. I really feel like that, that was like the moment of my San Francisco beginning where I was just like, maybe I'm ready to date again. So, that's it. Yeah. Thank you. Awesome. Thank you, Jennifer. Hell yeah. That's a great pickup line. I'm going to have to use that. When I see a full moon, I think of you. Actually, that, maybe coming from a dude, that sounds like a little scary. Like, a little murdery. Maybe I'll keep that in my back pocket. Uh, cool. That was great. So coming next to the stage, oh, I'm really excited this guy's here. He's one of my oldest friends. I met him the first day of college, and he moved all around, and hey, he just came back to San Francisco-ish. And I'm so happy he's here, Mr. Bogdan Negru. Professor Bogdan Negru. All right. <clears throat> so about two years ago, I lived in Chicago. And I like hills and mountains and national parks. And there's none of that in Illinois. <laughs> so I was trying to maybe get out move move somewhere else um, but to move somewhere else you have to apply for a job and get it right <laughs> and I was also very very lazy so I wasn't doing it but my friend my co-worker she she was very pushy and she made me do a search on indeed.com for job and they had my dream position in the dream location and what I wanted to be was a chemistry professor. Um, and they were hiring at a, a university, California State University, right? So I thought about it and I said, you know, this is perfect. I need to apply. I can't let this slip by. Um, but you don't just apply to be a chemistry professor. First, you have to convince three famous professors that you are worthy enough to be one of them. Then you have to make your application. You have to write a um, your teaching philosophy. So I guess you have to get a philosophy first. Then you have to write a proposal about the research that you want to do for the rest of your life. So it's very involved. It takes a lot of energy. And I was lazy. <laughs> yeah, so I didn't want to do it. But my wife uh, took the little baby we had and went to Korea to visit for a month. So I could stay up working on this instead of stay up and take care of the baby. <laughs> so I did. I didn't want to miss it out. Um, what I'm trying to say is I worked really hard. And on the last day, I sent the application. And about two weeks later, I get an email. And then I get a phone call. And the phone call is great. <laughs> They love me, so they, they invite me to come out. So I fly into California and I go to visit the university. And uh, it's tough, you know, chemistry is hard. So it was kind of a, it was a tough interview and I prepared for all the chemistry. So I think that part went okay. Um, and uh, I got to give a talk, that was okay. And then we get to the point when uh, all the chemistry professors are sitting at a table with me 
and they're all asking me questions. And at first it was about chemistry, so I was, I was okay. And then they get to the part of, in, of the interview that's on something else. And they look at me and they say, so um, why should we hire you? Why are you so special? <laughs> right? And uh, I sort of knew they were maybe going to ask me this. I, I wasn't sure, but I said, you know, I think I have a very creative mind. You know, I think uh, that I look at things differently than most other people. And, uh, you know, I think, I think I do things differently. So, I, I, you know, I think you need me. I think I'm, I'm good. So they look at me, and I'm proud of myself, you know. I didn't have too much hesitation saying this. And they say, oh, yeah? Like what? And I go blank, right? I'm like, oh, my God. What I should have done is maybe say one of the ways I was creative in the lab, which I'm very creative, so I thought it, was, it would have been good. But instead, my mind takes me back to 2007 Berkeley. I was a student, uh, and I met another student. Things were going well. And at the same time, there were tree sitters in Berkeley. I don't know if you guys know what this is, but the university was trying to cut out some old oaks to expand the football field. And some people figured out that if they climb in the trees, then uh, they can't cut the trees off, which worked. Uh, they stayed up there for about a year and a half. It was a mess. Uh, but during this time, I looked at my girlfriend and said, you know what we should do? We should plant a tree on campus. She said, why? And I said, well, why not? These guys are trying to keep these trees alive. Why don't we do something proactive and plant a tree on campus? So we did. We bought a tree together, woke up at 2 a.m., dug for about two hours. Well, before that, it took me about two weeks to find the perfect location. You want good drainage. You want to make sure there's not too much traffic around. Uh, you want full light, you know. And you want to make sure that the university is not going to expand the building or build some research center over your tree, right? And I think I found the perfect position. So we plant the tree. We don't get arrested. Everything's cool. And I'm thinking about this. And I'm like, that's a great, that's a creative thing to do, you know, I think. You know, nobody does that. Who does that, right? So I, I asked the, the committee. The, all the professors are there. And I say, do you guys remember the tree sitters in Berkeley? And... The chair of the committee looks at me and says, Dumpster Muffin. <laughs> Dumpster Muffin was the name of one of the main ladies that sat in a tree. <laughs> she was up there, she was up there for about six months. And this name, I had forgotten this name. This name hit me like a sledgehammer. <laughs> Because all of a sudden, all I see in my mind is all the greedy, smelly things that happened uh, with the tree-sitting people. It was right by the chemistry department. So I freeze. Time slows down, and I don't even know how to, how to reply. And I say, yeah, dumpster muffin. And they look at me like, what the hell are you talking about? Right? And I tell them, well, the, the people were trying to stop the university from cutting trees, which they failed at. Because I remember about a year and a half later, they finally got them out of the trees. We all went to see it. Some guy showed up with a sign that said free firewood, which was funny and sad at the same time. 
and uh, it all ended. It didn't work. The trees came down, the thing expanded. And I said, well, in the meantime, I actually planted a tree on campus. And the university adopted it. They added a water line for it. You know, they, the tree's growing now. It's still there, you know. And then I couldn't wait to move on and think about other things. Uh, so I, I fly back, and all I see in my mind is Dumpster Muffin. The name is, is, is following me. Everything I do when I close my eyes and open my eyes, all I see is Dumpster Muffin. For the next two weeks, I just think, why did I... Dumpster Muffin actually came up in my interview. Why that name? Um, and after two weeks, I get an email. And I'm like, great, it's an email, it's not a call. And I go to read and I say, if this thing mentions anything about Dumpster Muffin, I just quit. <laughs> and it didn't. I got the job. So I moved out. Yeah. And uh, it's been great. But yeah, Dumpster Muffin. Thank you. Yeah. Woo! Hell yeah, B. Yeah. Vote down Nature or B, everybody. That was a treat for me. Uh, Dumpster Muffin sounds like a David Lynchian character. Uh, I like that. So when you're talking about creative things you've done, I flash back to, I think it was our sophomore year in organic chemistry, the dreaded cobalt lab. And I remember when you wrote your paper on cobalt, you were like, what can I do that's interesting about cobalt? And so you included like a full page bio on the flash villain, cobalt blue, which had nothing to do with the lab, but you're like, yeah, why not? This is different. Uh, you know more about cobalt blue than I do, so maybe you should be the one hosting this show. <laughs> we have one more storyteller tonight. She is a playwright performer, the most produced playwright under 35. Over 100 scripts have been put up on stage for this woman. And she is also an opera libretto. Holy shit, now I feel like a clown up here. This is Megan Cohen. I always feel like a clown, it's okay. I'm a clown. I'm a clown too. We're all clowns. Clowns are cool. Right? Being a clown is one of the noblest callings in a world that takes itself very seriously. So true. So, um, when Eric told me the theme for the show was going to be gateways, I was like, chill. <laughs> Great. Awesome. I know what that is. Um, like, St. Louis is the gateway to the West, right? Or getting a good night's sleep is the gateway to productivity. Or Hamilton is a gateway drug to liking musical theater. True. So that's a working knowledge, right? But because I'm a huge nerd, well, I'm a pretty small nerd, actually. I'm four foot eleven. I wear kid-sized shoes. But as far as my nerdiness goes, it's not really in keeping with my size. I'm like one of those small dogs that thinks it's a big dog. I'm like a chihuahua that thinks it's a big drooly Dalmatian. Or like not even a Dalmatian, like a walrus. So since I'm the nerdiness equivalent of a walrus, I, I looked up the word. Um, with, you know, hashtag internet's hashtag hashtag.com. Um, and there are a couple definitions of a gateway. Uh, one is a means of access or entry to a place, like St. Louis is the gateway to the West. Another is a means of achieving a state or condition, like listening to Hamilton every day before work is a gateway to complete and absolute <laughs> happiness. Um, another is an opening that can be closed by a gate. <laughs> this is my favorite for like a couple reasons. Um, I grew up in a tiny town on Long Island in New York. Uh, one grocery store, four teenagers in the 7-Eleven parking lot because they have nowhere else to go. Um, American flags, grandma's house, the works. Uh, and in the yard to the garden, 
we had this wrought iron archway covered in sometimes dead vines and it had a little gate to the garden and I loved that. I was a little girl with long hair who read books, which means I know magic when I see it. And so a rusty backyard garden gate, that's really a thing. And when nobody was around, I would definitely go and open it and walk through the gate and close it behind me and be like, yeah, I walked through the gate. <laughs> okay, that's a lie. Um, I didn't grow up there. I, I did. It's a half lie, 60%. I grew up there, but I also grew up here in San Francisco. Sophistication, culture, uh, drag queen babysitter, teenagers beating each other up on the 38 Gary bus, the works. Um, I grew up bi-coastal, so my whole family went back and forth a couple times a year like migratory birds uh, doing this weird dance of sublets and rentals and packing and unpacking. It was mad and it was amazing. Uh, there was a lot of boxing up all your Barbie dolls and your feelings and putting them in the closet and locking the closet and then leaving your room and knowing some stranger was going to be in your home sleeping in your bed like it was their bed because they rented it and paid for it and they were going to be in your house while you were gone, while you were in your other life. And we'd go to the other life for three months, six months, nine months, and then we'd get back and the tree in the yard fell down or your babysitter moved away and there's a different restaurant down the block and your friend is a foot taller and has a nose ring because you've been in your other life but this one, it just kept going without you. This world just kept moving the whole time. And it was like that for most of my life. You go, you lock the door behind you, and then you come back. But when you come back, things are different. You know, you went through the gate, and the world went through the gate, too. So yes, I grew up in that tiny town 3,000 miles from here, but this is also where I grew up. Not right in this neighborhood, but I could totally walk to my childhood apartment from here. You could come with me if you wanted to make a night of it, or uh, I could go alone, take a night walk through the city. I could get my headphones, and the building where I grew up here is maybe three, three and a half full playthroughs of the Hamilton soundtrack away. <laughs> so we could go there, but we can't go in because we closed up that home, my childhood home here. A few months after I graduated from school, we got evicted because it's San Francisco and that's just what happens. And my whole family was packing everything we'd ever had, but not for three months, six months, nine months, you know, forever. And I didn't know where I was going in the big picture at all, just out of college, no idea, which is just, oh, absolutely the best time to spend weeks sifting through the tangible evidence of all the things you've ever experienced before that aren't with you anymore. So you can really like walk through that life transition covered in dust and dead spiders. 10 out of 10, would recommend, would do that again, five stars on Yelp. Um, so we closed that door and I'll never be in that home again. And we closed up my other childhood home, the one with the yard, the one 3,000 miles from right here. Uh, we closed that up two years ago this month. It was a big deal. Two-day tag sale in the beating sun. Everything must go. It was a real touch everything you've ever owned and throw half of it away kind of move. And we'd left that house so many times. I had left that house so many times. But this was, I had learned by now that this was possible. This leaving was forever. 
sometimes a door closes, a gate closes, and you're never going back through. And yes, 3,000 miles away from here, in the middle of the night, me now with my short hair, with no belief in magic anymore, and total belief in science, I still know something when I see it. So I pulled my jeans on and tiptoed out of the house under the moon and I went into the yard and I looked at the moon and I tried to breathe and I went out and I went to the garden and I opened the gate and I walked through it and I closed the gate. And then the next day we closed that door and I will never be in that home again. And between the ages of 23 and 33, which is the time I've spent in San Francisco as an adult now, um, in those 10 years, I've spent significant time living in 13 different rented rooms in the San Francisco Bay Area. Most of those apartments have been flipped by the aggressive gentrification of the dot-com uh, disruption of our city in the last decade. So it's just like, uh, get used to closing the door behind you. And every time when you're broke in an expensive city and you lose your room, you don't know if you'll be able to stay. I was in New York for a while this year. I was there doing a script of mine with some amazing people, and I was living in this apartment building in Brooklyn with a little yard out front, and at this black wrought iron gate that sometimes the other tenants left open and sometimes left closed, and I loved it. Click, click, open, close, I'm home. But only for three months. Then the show ended, and I found this room in San Francisco, and I'm here now. I closed that gate, I won't be in that house again, but maybe I'll be in New York again. Maybe New York has a gate that if I push, if I pull, it's going to open for me. Like, soon. Like, I'm pushing on something there, and I'll find out about that in a few weeks. And it would be a big life thing. But right now, I'm here. And New York is whirring along without me, along with all the other lives I'm not in, in all the cities and towns and relationships that I don't live in anymore. But right now, I'm here. And I moved into my current room just in March. I live about 15 minutes walk from this bar, from the knockout where we're recording right now. We could go there. It's not far. We could share the earbuds on my headphones on the walk. And it's just far enough that on the way, we could listen to my favorite song from Hamilton like four times. The song is Wait For It, obviously. I mean, look at that. I have a human soul. So this first week in this new nearby room, I had a friend over to try to make it feel like home because what makes a place feel like home is to bring a friend into it. So I invited my friend over to sit among all the boxes and I got my little kettle and I was gonna make us a tea and I got up and closed the door so we could talk in privacy without bothering my new roommates and my friend got this look, just tight smile, dead eyes. And I'm like, oh no, oh, this is, bad news. This is a bad conversation. It's a heart attack. What's going on? And I said, the only thing I could think to say, I said, hey, buddy. Just like that. And he said, he said, how many times have you slept here? And I said about like seven. And he said, Megan, I've slept in this room like 25 times. He'd had a beautiful but broken love affair with someone who'd lived there like 15 years ago in my room. And he didn't think he'd ever walk through the door of that room again, but there we were. And here we are.
So a gateway is an opening that can be closed by a gate. And that's my favorite definition for like a couple of reasons, but especially because it's an opening that can be closed. That means it isn't closed. That means when you find it, a gateway is always open. It's always open when you find it. It's open. It's open. It's all so open. Thanks. Megan Cohen, everybody. Yes. Oh, man. That, unfortunately, brings us to the end of our stories for the night. This was really, really fun, guys. Thank you all so much for coming. This is, It's been a small crowd, but uh, a warm warm group. Thank you so much for the knockout. Uh, this will go up online. You can also follow the tour at patreon.com slash nerdalogs. I've got two more shows in the tour, and uh, then I'm going to go home and see about getting another job. Maybe I'll move out here, too. We'll see. I am interviewing for a job in Pasadena. Almost nobody knows that, but now you guys know. That's cool. Uh, it's actually for podcast production, so I like doing that. Uh, so this is a song. It doesn't really relate to the theme at all, but it's been in my head since we booked this show, and I'm like, fuck it, I'm just going to play it. Because uh, I love this band. No shame. No shame in that. Uh, one, two, three, four. When the lights go down Sorry, it's so obvious. When the sun shines on the veil, do I wanna be there yeah, in my city? Oh, 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 So you think This has been a Nerdalogs production. If you'd like to help make more things like this, please visit patreon.com slash nerdalogs to donate today. And go to www.nerdalogs.com for more cool stuff. Thanks for being awesome. Thank you all. Thank you all. I am Grabbot23548X.